Hello, good day. This is Stride and Saunter, episode four. Today's topic: distractions, distractions. My name is Hector Marrero, and I'm Kip Clark. Somebody, somebody, I, I heard somebody tell me Beyonce said this that there are only 24 hours in a day to do what she does. You know what, what I mean? That somebody's saying like, oh, Beyonce can be Beyonce in 24 hours mm-hmm. so I can be the best of myself in 24 hours. But it's true. Everybody has 24 hours in a day to do everything they need to do. Absolutely. To sleep, to, you know, in our case, go to school, study, you know, do creative things and goof around, maybe exercise, hopefully exercise. I know I don't exercise <laughs> that often. <laughs> um, uh, that should be a necessity, you know, and a multitude of other things. But I think most people, if not everybody, has distractions. I think people... For sure. Yeah. So I guess how would you dis- define a distraction or perhaps we can let's flesh out this yeah, absolutely. definition. No, we'll, we'll figure it out together. Uh <laughs> live or rather recorded for everyone listening. I would say a distraction is something that impedes the progress of something on which you're focused. So obviously if you're reading, a distraction is anything that prevents reading. But I also think that distraction need not have a negative connotation. I mean, I think some of the best things that have happened in my life have been unexpected, things that I wasn't focusing on. Spontaneous moments. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think distractions can be and I'm not saying they always are, but can be very positive in their own right. Rather, mm-hmm. How would you define a distraction? I think in its core, a distraction is something that gets your attention away from the thing that in your own little mind or your own little space you're supposed to be doing. For example, homework or reading a book. A distraction might be a fly landing on your arm. If you're very sensitive to flies landing on your arm or somebody playing music or something as simple as a water faucet dripping. And sometimes a distraction can be so strong that even that water faucet dripping can feel like an earthquake to somebody and can completely break somebody out of a mood. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting that you talk about the distraction being strong. I was going to say one thing that sort of you said there conjured up for me the idea that, that in my mind, a distraction doesn't have agency. I would argue that it's the power you give a distraction that makes it important. You know, you you recognize that there's a fly in your arm, and instead of going back to reading, you can't stop thinking about that fly, and it sort of gets under your skin, you know, metaphorically, and, and sort of itches on your conscience because you're aware of it. I definitely think that there's something to be said about how much power we give to our distractions. Yeah, that's an interesting point, and I wonder if we are giving these distractions power, as you say, or if it's something, I mean, it must be something as we're growing up and we're getting older and we develop the habits that will, you know, form our own personality and who we are. I think the things that distract us are also formed in that time. And actually, I wanted to go on a point, uh, I think we might have touched upon this point, a majority of Americans have access to computers and computers have quite a lot of information. Some computers have games. If anything, you can go on the internet and find games. But essentially, there's a plethora of information available online. And so then, you know, I guess the distraction becomes a little more muddled in that case because you have these people who are quote-unquote multitaskers, people who do a few things at once. They'll have music open, they'll be checking their emails and simultaneously typing to a friend on Facebook message or something. But I read yesterday how I think the human mind, I guess the average human mind, is only capable of processing 120 bits per second. And I'm not really sure how they quantify 
verify that. Also, on top of that, they said that a conversation, for example, takes up 40 bits per second, which is a huge uh, amount. And that's why if you're having a conversation with somebody, you can't really be doing something else. You do have to focus on the person's facial expressions and what they're saying and make sure you're absorbing everything they're saying so you don't embarrass yourself and repeat yourself or right. something like that. It's a prevalent thing nowadays, which is why I'm glad we're talking about it. And I started thinking about sort of where distractions might have been beneficial. Obviously, a lot of the things that have evolved with us would have served some purpose at one point in time. And I suspect that very early on, human beings coming into the fray would have needed to pay attention for potential threats to detect any oncoming dangers. But nowadays, I feel like that sense has been heightened unnecessarily for numerous things. Like you talk about the computer. Yeah, people multitask all the time. And I think it's dangerous potentially to do that because you lose focus on specific things. Emails maybe aren't that important. Maybe the song you're listening to isn't that important. But I'm glad that you talked about conversation because I think that a lot of times when we have conversations with people, we're so used to multitasking that it's painful to focus on a conversation with someone, which is horrible. And I'm certainly guilty of that. There have been conversations where I'm thinking of other things or bored with the conversation and you lose a lot of information. You lose body posture, you lose facial expression, you lose body movement if the person's feeling upset or something like you might not detect that based on their words alone i don't know it's very very interesting i think also what what ends up happening for example let's say you and i are going to watch a show there is an actor or a musician performing a show oftentimes i will you know go to a show and i'll kind of watch the people you know let's ignore that example of a show but let's talk about you know a speaker somebody comes to speak to the school it's an hour-long speech about let's say national security let's make it pretty vague you know, I, I notice often I will look at the crowd and see people's faces. And oftentimes you'll have people talking to one another, you know, kind of whispering something to one another. Again, you know, you have the iPhone or, or other, you know, cell phones, which are easily accessible. And you could just go on to the Internet and, you know, the speaker can't do anything about it. And nobody's really going to, you know, stop but you. But wouldn't it be great if they could, if they just like <laughs> leapt into the crowd, swept your phone out of your hand, look at me, yeah, listen to that, what I'm saying. That would be great. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, I don't think that happens. Definitely too often. But yeah, I, I noticed it is hard to to pay attention. And, and what is lost, for example, if you're going to see somebody speak, you are missing out on a lot of details in the moment. So it becomes this thing of, you know, what is more important being present in this situation and this, you know, with the speaker. I mean, I'm sure all these students are here for, you know, different reasons. Some students are there because a the professor told them to. Right, right. A few of them are there because they want to be. Others are being dragged by their friends. So already you're going to have students that are not that interested but if you are interested but you have other things to do you know you might be on your phone and you have to respond to these emails you're going to be missing out on crucial points of this person speaking but i think the most important thing is that you lose detail i think that's one troublesome thing about being distracted is that you lose the detail of you know meeting with somebody and so when somebody asks you to reflect on the speaker for example it's very easy for you to say oh well it was good. It's a general answer. It was good because he spoke on this, on this, and this, but it's difficult to find, you know, the actual detail or to actually, you know, go back and get that detail because your mind, while you were there, was actually focused on a few different things. And I guess the brain has a way of storing information. And when you have your attention on so many things or being distracted from one thing, it can be difficult to go back and retrieve that information. That's not general and instead is specific. Right. Yeah. And we're definitely, we're, we're hitting, I think, a lot of good points. But I think now to, to focus the conversation, or at least to 
to add some elements or, or some focusing questions, something that we've talked about is what people pay attention to. So what what do you think draws people's attention the most? What what factors, what elements are most attention-grabbing to people? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, so things that people pay attention to are things that interact with their senses, things that are visually appealing or sound nice, things that smell good, or I guess you can't say taste good because a taste is a very direct thing. But people pay attention to things that are sensorily pleasurable. Well, what about what about things that are harsh that that are grating on the senses you think people It's true there are you know certain cases where something is so horrifying or so freaky or so strange that you want to turn away but at the same time your focus is put onto it instead. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. like there's pains I've had plenty of aches or scratches or cuts that distract me in a lot of senses that I can't stop thinking about. Bless the band-aid for being able to keep me from like constantly scratching at scabs that I have. But a lot of things I think draw people's attention. I mean like one thing I would say definitely along with the sensory, I think that in a lot of ways if we have our heads sort of on a swivel, we're always looking for something to grab our attention, even if it's not a distraction. But I'd say people pay attention to, I think, things that are out there, things that, you know, definitely sensorily attractive. This is fun trying to, you know, define distraction and define what we pay attention to because it just makes me realize how not often I actually think about what I pay attention to and to what I am paying attention to at any one moment. It is always so many different things. I turn my head, I'm reading a book. But uh, Kip, do you ever find yourself having difficulty reading a book? Absolutely. I think it, in a lot of ways, I guess if I'm going to cop out and give a weak answer for a moment that I will come back to. I think it's a generational thing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think that hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, very few forms of entertainment, at least compared to what we have now. You know, there were plays, certainly it's been around forever, but but I think reading and storytelling was a huge means of, of entertaining the populace back in the day, and I think that it's still true now. Certainly our parents will tell us how important reading is, and I don't disagree but I will say that when you compare it to things like movies and you know music and go to any concert nowadays, you're filled with sensory overload. Video games is another example. But I, just, I think there are a lot of mediums that are attention-grabbing in a way that reading is not. I will say that I think reading, unlike many other mediums, requires that you have an imagination, which is probably something that you and I ought to talk about someday. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, reading for sure. Thousands of different thoughts going through my head at any given point, and to somehow just shut that off and then start thinking about a character or a plot line in a book or even something as dry as a textbook, yeah, it's it's hard at times for sure. Definitely gets easier towards the middle of a book when you've already invested time and therefore imagination and brain space into that book, whether it be informational or fictitious. Hmm. But yeah, for sure, I do. Do you find similar things to be true. Well, I actually want to just branch off to this one point. You're talking about uh, storytelling. And I want to go back on this point of sensory overload and how a lot of our, you know, films and video games and television shows, so much information that you can't possibly absorb it in a single brush through. But what you mentioned earlier about, you know, storytelling made me think of, you know, the two stories that we hear about, the the ancient stories that were, you know, spoken to the masses were the Odyssey and the Iliad. Probably, I'm sure that there were others, but these were stories, these were epics. These are very, if you were to pick up one of these books, they're very thick. They're full of information, full of detail. And I remember, you know, reading that in one of my classes and 
being astonished that somebody can memorize all that information in meter in a way that you know it's, it has almost a rhyme it has a pattern to it but it is so much information but then you know people paid attention to that that was the entertainment for the time that was so far different from what people were used to working cleaning taking care of their family uh, you know playing around this was very condensed information this was information of a specific time put together with, you know, religion and folklore and legend and heroism. All these things were put together into one package and spoken and people would listen. People would go to the amphitheaters and listen to these stories being told. So, you know, I guess that carries through. Maybe that was one big thing that people paid attention to. And now, would you say that things are maybe a little more broken up because, or maybe a lot more broken up, because we have so much information coming from all these different places? at any one moment. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think things are uh, broken up in a lot of ways. And I think that we'll definitely touch on this later because I have a lot to say on it. But I think advertising companies prey upon our inability to focus mm -hmm. or if you're going to look at it the other way, our super ability to to be distracted. Well, one thing I wanted to mention was, you know, there is this, you know, there are a few videos that you can get on YouTube and it, it shows you specifically nowadays in film, we have cutting we have okay the montage what is the montage it's when you have clips at different angles showing close-ups you know against long shots to tell you know a single cohesive story but filmmakers over the more or less hundred some years that film has existed have realized that there are only there's only so much that an audience can pay attention to and so you'll find a few videos online there's this one famous one where people are I think passing a basketball to one another or a lunchbox yeah, and yeah, so they say yep. look at the lunchbox and see how many times it's passed around and so you're counting you're like okay passing passing on the lunchbox and then they show you the video again and they say don't look at the lunchbox just look at the image and there is a person in a bee costume or yeah. a bear costume yeah. just walking through the frame uh, sometimes multiple times and you realize that even though it's right there right in front of your face you are not seeing it so what are things that I guess nowadays we should be paying attention to? What are things that are beneficial to our growth that we could pay attention to? For sure. I would say, despite the fact that I think a lot of us don't do this, body language I think is a huge one. In a lot of ways, there is a, sort, a certain discomfort nowadays with looking at someone in that, you know, like as a body, and a person is definitely more than that. But I do think that it's, it's ignorant to, to behave as though some, like the way someone's standing or sitting is not indicative of something. You know, and a lot of times, like, if someone is slumped over, like, maybe they're not having the best day. I'm no psychologist, and so I won't say that's a surefire way to diagnose someone. But I, I don't feel like we pay a ton of attention to body language these days, or at least I don't notice it. Um, well, if I can add on to that, I think things that, like, body language, um, I guess we can build upon this point. There are things that can be paid attention to and can be noticed, but for whatever reason aren't paid attention to. One of those things being body language. And I think what ends up happening is some people know about this. They know they have this information. Most people don't know about body language. And so what do they do with that? They exploit that information or they have the ability to exploit the information and say, well, you know, for 1999, you can know how to use your body language and pick up that person that you've always thought was cute or talk to that person you always thought was cute. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I hear. I mean, like, yeah, for sure. I, I think there's a lot of things that honestly, yeah, if you just took the time to sort of look around and pay attention to without any other activity distracting you and just sort of, like, watch things, 
body language, I think it's one thing you'd notice and you'd start maybe focusing on it because you do start to see patterns. Going on the emotional awareness train, I would say facial expression is a thing that, mm-hmm. that maybe people pay attention to because often when we have conversations, we do look at one another. But I think there are nuances to facial expression. You know, and I would also say that some people use certain, you know, facial cues to mean different things. Like, to me, the wink is always hilarious because mm-hmm. it can mean so many different things. And I often feel like it doesn't actually have a spoken comparative. Like, going back to... <laughs> wink? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't really say it. <laughs> right, you're not going to say it because it's not going to make any sense. But in terms of sort of like, yeah, what people can pay attention to, the faces of the people around you. Because also, in a very cool way, you'll learn a bit more about yourself. I think the way people look at you, the way people emote towards you gives you some indication of how you're doing and sort of like what what they're perceiving from you because obviously you don't hold a mirror up to your face every day you don't know everything that your body is doing at all times you're probably not focusing on that um which is yeah another thing that i would say pay attention to yourself sort of take cues from yourself are you really feeling hungry or do you just think that you should be eating like notice those things i think is a very important piece that i would throw out there it's interesting that you say that because I, I see a connection between attention and learning about the world, at least in these comparisons, you know, Definitely. looking at people's facial expressions, how people interact or react to what you say, paying attention to yourself. They are things that can uh, benefit you in that you, le- it's almost like learning a new language. It's you are learning a new way to communicate with the world or see the world in more detail. It's almost as if you're. One thing I, I, I like to think of is, you know, how education is almost like taking an image that's really staticky and low quality, like 240p, uh, <laughs> like YouTube yeah. video. And the more you learn about it or the more you pay attention to it, the more high quality it becomes. And suddenly, for example, if you walk down Middle Path at Kenyon and you look at all the trees, to some people, those are just trees. They don't have shapes of their own. It's hard to you know memorize the look of one. But if you learn about botany and you learn about different species of trees and you start being able to appreciate, oh, this tree has a few burls on it or one of the branches grows out in this funny way, all of a sudden you see things in more detail because you're paying attention to it. I really like that you brought up nature there. I personally have had numerous moments where, where I'll stop to look at something. There's the old phrase, stop to smell the roses. Nature is a really cool thing to observe in the context of our discussion, something on which to focus because people don't focus on nature, time, yeah. especially in like urban sprawls where there isn't so much natural aesthetic showing. I think it's a really, really cool thing to be able to take time and look at nature, especially we're now in the the throes of autumn and it's about to turn into winter. And I think there's a lot of really cool foliage and definitely environmental factors that are changing. I think it's a really, really cool thing to observe and sort of pay attention to, especially because I think it's soothing in a really nice way. Nature doesn't demand your attention. It can definitely hold your attention, I think, but it's not, it's not allowed. It's something you sort of have to seek out. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to touch upon, and I apologize if I'm digressing here, but no, the the social aspect of distraction. I think that if a lot of us are paying attention to something, it's not a distraction. It becomes something else, and I'm not sure I have the word for it, um, but it, it becomes sort of its own phenomenon. But if it's one person, it's a distraction, and people are going to say, like, well, like Hector looks distracted over there, but if a group of people were looking at whatever it is you're looking at... They're going to be looking at... Yeah, well. it's, and yeah. It's, it's not a distraction anymore. I think that it's... 
it's almost like a distraction is our way of seeing who's not really paying attention. Like a distraction calls out that one person who's not quite focused on his or her task or whatever they're doing. Yeah, I don't know. I actually wanted to touch upon two things. One thing being paying attention as a group or being, you know, quote unquote, distracted as a group and also nature. The other day, there was this magnificent sunset outside. And what made it magnificent was that there were different layers of clouds. So there were some clouds that were low hanging. So they're about a mile up from the ground, more or less. Um, from what I remember from weather books that I read as a kid. And then there were other clouds that were, you know, maybe five to 10, to maybe even higher up in the air. And what that does is that little small angle of light that is being given by the sun from like low on the horizon shines on different parts of the clouds. But the pink red color is very prominent because you have these clouds grabbing uh, this light, you know, and what I noticed and what was amazing was that not only was I walking outside to see these clouds, but there were tons of people. This was in new apps or NCAs. People were coming out of their houses and looking up at the sky and people were on their phones saying, you have to go outside and look at this. And I could easily hear people saying, wow, look at that. And it, it reminded me, it was just such a powerful reminder that despite, you know, all of these things that we give our attention to, there is this huge power that nature has as being this uncontrollable force that still grabs our attention, still grabs the attention of humans and still amazing and still marvelous and still worth looking at and calling your friend and saying, please look at this yeah, as well. Totally. And I also wanted to touch upon this point with nature. For some people, myself included, I can go down a trail or even a street and it takes me some time before I'm familiar with the street. Again, it's, it's this idea of, you know, before I know the details that make this street this street or this trail in the woods this specific trail in the woods and what interests me is these stories I heard you know in my middle school history class hearing about how the Native Americans who lived in America before you know Western settlers. culture settlers, settlers came in to take over they were able to read nature they were able to recognize individual trees they were able to recognize details in the the paths they walked for miles and miles and miles because that was all they had to pay attention to because it was you know it was a different time but their home was much more integrated with nature in a way that you and me for example don't experience on a daily basis mm -hmm. I just thought that was fascinating. So, you know, there are some things people pay attention to that might seem pointless, might seem to some as, you know, having no clear goal. It's just there. And this could include television shows. This could include, you know, some movies. But I think one of the most prominent examples of this, like, distraction, like, king of distraction is this celebrity culture where we have magazines in the front of our supermarkets and in the front of pharmacies that talk about, you know, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt or Kim Kardashian. And it's always, you know, negative news. Oh, how they're getting a divorce. Oh, how somebody cheated on this other person. And people pick up these uh, magazines. I pick up these magazines sometimes and look inside and, and wonder, you know, who is it that actually purchases these magazines? But there is a whole economy based off of people looking at the stories and reading about the stories of other people. And these people who are, you know, quote unquote, celebrities will go shopping or will, you know, just be wearing clothing and people will photograph them and then put it up on the internet with text and people read it. There are these websites get a lot of views. TMZ is one of the ones that I know of. 
And it's interesting. What is it about this information that makes people want to pay attention to it? I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you have some idea, or you can. Yeah. No. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you can just elaborate on. Yeah. Well, I've always got a response for something. Um, I would say that. Ah, I mean, I, I to me, what it is that appeals to to people about celebrities, and I, you know, I think it's true of me from time to time that I there are celebrities that I enjoy hearing about, is that I think as people we have this very natural tendency to want to sort of throw our personalities and ourselves into other things. I think it's why storytelling has, has survived for as long as it has because we like to to envision ourselves as other people. We like to be elsewhere to think about other things partially because, and I wanted to get to this, and so I'm glad that we have, distractions don't have to be negative. I think in a lot of ways, distractions can help us to sort of separate ourselves from our own lives so Mm -hmm. we're not too entangled in our own issues or caught up in our own heads. Certainly people go through all kinds of difficult losses and changes in life, grievances and other sad Mm -hmm. times where you don't want to be in your own head. You don't want to be alone with your thoughts. You want distractions. And I think in those times... You know, as long as you're choosing healthy distractions that are not, you know, thoroughly damaging to yourself, I personally think distractions are great in that time because sometimes there are things that, that it just it doesn't help to think about it any longer. And I think celebrities are especially appealing as distractions because the emotion is heightened. You know, their weddings are glamorous. Their mm-hmm. their divorces are horrific. Their you know their children are interesting and their and clothes quirky. are expensive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Every everything about a celebrity seems heightened. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And even the most normal things, like if a celebrity sneezes, there's there's something going on there. There's some story about like how ill they are. It's it's never anything mundane, which is rather peculiar because they have the same chromosomes we do. They share any other biological qualities except for better cheekbones or what have you but they're people and i think they're they're appealing as distractions because they are human because we can relate to them on that level and sort of envision ourselves in their shoes in their mansions in their cars and i think they're they're an appealing distraction on that level yeah i mean beautifully said i actually want to go back to this one point where you're saying that um or i want to go back to the point that you said that distractions aren't necessarily bad things and you know this can be when you have some negative emotions in your life you need to get out of your head i know some people go on drives for example or go on runs i've heard that both are good for emptying the mind or not emptying the mind but making everything more a little more focused yeah, because clarity yeah because i think i think mental clutter is definitely something that i go through i definitely i don't know if the word suffer but i definitely have mental clutter where i'll go through a day and i'm just constantly distracted by something or you know constantly thinking about something and i wanted to actually you know talk about there are these distractions that are kind of they're psychic distractions they almost they cling on to us in some way and these distractions can be for example, they say, I, I've heard people say that you should clean up your room because if you have a clean room, you'll be able to work more efficiently and you'll be able to use the space more efficiently. I also feel that sometimes I am distracted by the clutter on my computer. I think if my files are all over my desktop, which sometimes they are, in fact, I think they are right now, it's actually a bit of a distraction and it's almost a psychic distraction because I don't even know, I guess every distraction would be a psychic distraction, but it can prevent you from doing something fully because you are constantly putting something off. I guess we can talk about you or we talked about before recording this about this concept of flow 
and it's by you you can say his name yeah the uh i believe he's a doctor of psychology his name is chick semi high um i don't know his first name i think it's like mikhail yeah oh it might be mikhail yeah yeah yeah, for sure but i'm pretty sure the pronunciation and forgive me if i'm wrong you listeners can correct me uh but i believe it's yeah dr chick semi high and some people call just call him chick which is c-s-i-k that's how you spell it and this concept of flow i discovered it in a psych class that i took last semester and it is part of this branch of psychology called positive psychology. What flow is, is a period of time where somebody's attention is completely, absolutely focused on the task they are doing. For example, one of the uh, one story is that when Michelangelo was painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, he would paint for days and days on end, ignoring his own body, ignoring his need for food and water, and he would just conk out after days of constant painting, wake up refreshed, and just keep going at it. The same can be said for a lot of other musicians and artists who, you know, do work for hours and hours on end, ignoring their own needs, ignoring their self, you know, but it becomes this way of completely ignoring all these things that you're usually paying attention to, for example, your hunger, your thought process, things that are going around in the world, and all this attention of yours, all those 120 bytes of data that your brain can allocate for attention are allocated to this one task. And I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was fascinating. The name flow, I think, comes from people who would describe this process of, you know, uninhibited creativity and a moment where or time that they're not being inhibited by themselves and a lot of people on separate occasions would compare it to flowing like water and even um, Bruce Lee himself talks about being water being a part of the shape that you're in water goes into a cup it takes the shape of a cup if it goes into a bottle it takes the shape of a bottle and I think it's an interesting point because that's how people get things done or rather this is how people get some amazing things done for example the Sistine Chapel is one of the most beautiful pieces of art created by, you know, more than one person, but essentially Michelangelo was the one structuring it all. Bruce Lee was a master at uh, Kung Fu. I'm not sure what particular kind of Kung Fu, but I know that he was a master at it. So this idea of flow is that you can get the best quality work when you're in this state. And I think that's interesting. I think, you know, again, I think there is a connection to be made between attention and learning. And I think when you have your full attention on something, that is when you can not necessarily create the best work, but create the best work at that moment. Yeah. And there is, I'm sorry, I was was about to interrupt you. I, I don't think, I think there is also... Sometimes people can be focused on something very intently. For example, a video game or a film. This isn't flow. This isn't not considered flow. I'm, I'm, I guess that's just like you're paying full attention to. I'm sure there's a word for it. But flow is specifically you working on a task that has some difficulty and you are you have you know, some skill in this task. And so you are creating something unique in this situation. Is that more or less how you would define it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I too remember taking a psych class. For me, it's now, I think, three years ago in a senior year of high school, yeah, in which flow was described to us. And in my mind, I think I'm getting it a bit mixed up with ideas of expertise. And I want to say one of the two requires 10,000 hours 
of participation to become an expert at something. And I don't think that's what flow is necessarily. No, about. yeah. That, that's, I, I know that case, and yeah. I think there's a book based off of it as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, I think that's how I would describe flow. I, I personally don't know that I've ever felt that. There have definitely been, been times where I've lost track of time, which in its own way could probably be defined as a distraction as you and I have have examined it. And for me, it's often been socially. I've had conversations with one or more people that have just gone on for hours. And I look up and it's five hours later and I don't know where the time went. And I guess part of me could lament that that so much time had passed. But I think flow, if you are really in it, and I'm not sure that counts, you enjoy it. And, and there's nothing in the world that compares to it. And I don't think you you trade other things, you know, in, in place of it. I think flow is is amazing. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, not that I can say I've felt it for sure, but I'm curious, have you ever felt flow? Yeah, I, I, I actually think I have. And, you know, one thing I've noticed is that when I felt this feeling that I, I think is flow, one time that I felt it was when I was, I was creating a short film last year for my directing class. And this was a story that I really wanted to do, and I was really excited about it. And it took a lot of narrowing down of my attention and, you know, focusing because I had a whole team to help me with this production. I had actors. I had somebody scheduling for me. But I had to think about all these different things. I had to think about all the shots that I needed. I had to think about all the props that I needed. I needed to think about continuity. And I had people helping me out with these smaller details. But then I had to edit the entire film. And it was all the whole process was, you know, a very short period of time but I can remember being on set and you know just letting the time go by not thinking about anything else except getting the perfect shots getting the perfect footage that I would later be able to use and the same thing when I was editing it was complete focus I did not eat dinner that night also I was editing the night the film was due and was going to be shown to the class so that in part might have altered that but it is this feeling, there is a joy that I remember feeling and also urgency to get the clearest picture of Cross because here I have in my head this one idea of how this film will be seen and you know how I will be portraying it will show it that way, but I need to make sure that it's as close to that image in my head as possible. Yeah, it was interesting that you, you brought out joy. I think that we've been talking about distraction, but I think specifically when you focus on something, there is a joy, I would even say a pride, in, in devoting yourself you know, wholly to be it another person or an activity or whatever. And I think a lot on final season and you know periods where, where people are all working on projects or many people are working on assignments or exams coming up. You, you see focus come out, and, and part of me wonders if we're not in a state of panic or, or, you know, urgency? Is it as easy to, to get into a state of focus and sort of eliminate distractions because we simply can't afford to be bothered by them? I think it's very interesting when people are actually focused. And it's also, I mean, talking about pride, you, you sit someone down and make them focus for a few hours on whatever they're doing. For the most part, I'd say at the end of that, the results or whatever they've accomplished are usually pretty impressive. And I think that, like, that's one of the best things about focus on the other side of of distraction, that people can accomplish great things that, frankly, I don't think you could if you're distracted. I don't think multitasking between 10 things is the same as focusing on one yeah. for 10 times as long. I think, and you know, I'm not coming to any conclusions here, but I'm just thinking right now about 
in one of my art history classes in high school, I remember reading about cubism, or I wasn't even reading about it. It was my my teacher was telling me about cubism, and she was telling me about this one artist and Picasso, and this one artist whose name I can't remember. Um, I should remember it, but I can't. We'll say um, it's Chick Shemmy High. <laughs> let's just say it's that. Yeah, cheek. He could not keep up with Picasso. Picasso would just crank out piece of art like artwork after artwork after artwork after artwork and that's one you know that's one thing that's really incredible about Picasso and a lot of other great artists is just the sheer quantity of high quality work they produced in their lifetime. I remember speaking to my brother one time and I was just marveling at how some people have done so much in, you know, the period of life that they were given that people will write books on a period of, you know, 10 years of their life or even shorter, maybe like three days of their entire life because so much happened in that short quantity of time that it's worth writing a book about and worth having people read about it and learn about it. But going back to Picasso, I thought it was fascinating that beyond Cubism, he was working in all these different realms. He was going to Cubism. He did um, surrealism at some point. He did expressionism. He, he was part of all these different art artistic movements because he was, I guess, I don't know if it was that he was constantly in a state of flow or he was able to reach this state where he could pay attention to one single thing for enough time to complete high quality work. But that also required, you know, a lot of training. And that training, I'm assuming, would have been highly focused attention in his youth. And I guess we could take that to nowadays. Nowadays we have so much information in our pockets, literally, you know, going back to, you know, this iPhone in my pocket, like it's an amazing machine. We have all this information. We can get all the news we want. We can download books somehow and like get them onto our, you know, phone and read them. Essentially, we have a lot of information in our pockets. So why aren't there more Renaissance men? Why aren't there more people who can do everything when we have all this information? Part of it is that it becomes hard to narrow down on what one as an individual wants. What do I want to do? What do I want to focus on? And I think there are all these ideas of, for example, a high schooler going to college. Ideally, this person would be thinking, well, I have a passion for this subject, let's say history, and I'm also interested in art. I'm going to look for a place that has those two topics and I can you know, focus on them and study them and do that for the rest of my life. Instead, you have a lot of young people, who, myself included, who are thinking, well, I like art and this other thing, but what jobs will I find afterwards? And, you know, it, it becomes something that you need to think about, but at the same time, for a young mind who's not developed enough or who hasn't really been able to think about these things in detail or in more nuanced ways, it becomes a distraction that can affect them for the rest of their life. Because what if they're thinking about jobs instead of what they're passionate about? It, it's a very real possibility that you can end up doing something that you don't want to do. And I think that happens with a lot of people. I think that goals become become muddled up because our attention is muddled up and our attention isn't as focused as it may have been before computers. Or perhaps it's not even computers or it's something else. Maybe it's just our culture, our society that we live in nowadays that demands our attention to be placed in multiple different places at once. And I think I touched upon this one subject about how there's like this healthiness of the brain. So I compared uh, the brain to being like obese. You know, how can a brain become obese? It's when it can't pay attention to one thing for a long enough time. Even a conversation, you know, 
for example, I talk to some people and it seems that they have to constantly be on their phone texting or, you know, Instagramming something and they can't ha- keep my attention for too long or rather I can't keep their attention for too long without them looking at something else. And for me, it's less frustrating as it is kind of sad because again you know you you mentioned this point about paying attention to facial expressions and to body language that body language of looking down at one's phone and even having your hands closed up and your kind of body language is closed it's frustrating because you can't make a real connection with this other person right yeah i i mean i think one one thing about sort of distractions and then relating it back to what we talked about with sort of socializing and facial reactions is that with a distraction, you know, there's there's no other participant but you. You know, you can sort of walk outside and chase the butterfly, as it were, metaphorically, and no reaction needs to be given to to what you just did. But with people, yeah, they prefer the distraction because it's it's that sense of control that you can choose ideally when or when not to indulge in that distraction. But yeah, I mean, there have been times, honestly, when I've gone for walks or whatever with friends where I request, would you mind, like, leaving your phone in the car or, like, putting mm-hmm. it on airplane mode? I, I legitimately want to know if you're going to give me your time and spend that time with me. And a lot of people have been really compliant about it, and, you know, they're more than willing to. I do the same so as not to be hypocritical. And I don't think I've gotten too many <laughs> strange looks for it yet, but... But I think then that, that the weird thing is that you, you see people looking at you or whatever... And any gaze that's longer than, like, two seconds seems like they're staring at you, when in reality, I think people socialize that way, and we've sort of become detached from it, because you expect glances to be passing, you expect people to sort of glaze over you when they look at you and not give you sort of rapt attention, because we've come to expect that attention is divided. And it's just, it's very interesting. I, I should be able to look someone in the eye for a period of time when they're talking to me and, uh, and not get any flack for it, but definitely mm-hmm. it's... It's not always the case, and I just think that's interesting. Yeah, I, have you watched the movie Her? I have. Yeah, that I, I enjoyed that film. I know I, I have some friends who really didn't like that film very much, but one thing I thought that that movie did very well was showing a society that has people not communicate with one another mm-hmm. um, in person, or rather, for one-on-one communications to like being a rare thing, because everybody in that film seems to be on their phone or. I think it shows a society where individuals walking down the street don't talk to one another anymore. They're on their phones, or rather they're paying attention to the little world that they have created for themselves, you know, with their phone and their work. So they're going from point A to point B, but there's no communication between individuals, or there is less interactions between individuals which I thought it was interesting. I thought they did that pretty well. One thing that I'm interested in is this idea of the attention economy. While I don't really know too much about it, I think it has to do with media and advertising specifically and how an advertising agency or a company can most effectively grab and keep the attention of somebody. And I think the first thing they do is use massive amounts of data about people and what they tend to click on, but you'll use, you know, attractive people. You usually see attractive people in advertising, colorful clothing, you know, backgrounds that look very beautiful. If it's an audio advertisement, I'm sure they'll use, you know, music that they know is appealing to people, sounds, bass drums, or, uh, you know, sounds of subwoofer. 
or bass or rhythms that are hip at the time to grab the attention of people. And I think that's interesting and kind of scary too because you realize that there are people out there who take the time to amass data on, you know, the public. And how attention works. And, yeah, and, and know what exactly people are paying attention to and then manipulate that information to benefit their own needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually segues quite nicely into uh, sort of our last portion of this topic and, and we want to close the show by talking about how one fights or maybe resists distraction. As we've said, obviously not all distraction is bad, Mm -hmm. but some of it can be. To put in my two cents, I think one way of sort of resisting distraction or at least paying attention to what is distracting you is, is just that, being observant and noticing when your head is jerked in one direction, why, you know, what is it about that person? What is it about that noise? What color flashed over there? And just being is critically aware of it. And I think over time, you'd start to see patterns. You'd say, okay, I'm easily distracted by tactile sensations or other things. And I think that, you know, if there are problems in your life or around you with a lot of distraction, just being aware. I mean, personally, sound is something that gets me all the time. Even the lightest of noises will get me. I'll I'll turn my head very, very easily at sound, which is interesting. And I'm sure there's some personality basis for that. But yeah, I would say being aware of what distracts you is a good way. I think that's a good point. I think another way of fighting distraction, I think, you know, fighting bad distractions, because I agree, I think there are distractions that are good. I think there are distractions that are healthy. Taking a walk, for example, can be seen as a distraction if you're supposed to do an assignment in two hours. But at the same time, it can be, you know, good if you need to decompress. But I think it's fighting those habits. And I think that point that you bring up is right. I think it is being aware of your habits and being aware of what things you do automatically, what websites you click on automatically, like what sounds you hear in the morning and just paying attention to the small details in your life that repeat. I think the human mind is programmed in such a way as to always take the easiest route or basically do the simplest thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to fight that because sometimes you will have, for example, a habit for, you know, you'll have a conversation with somebody and you're automatically saying, oh, interesting. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And actually not adding anything to the discussion. But if you, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, mean, I was just going to say, but maybe you don't even mean that it's cool or interesting or, you know, a good point. Yeah, it, it's that. become so ingrained into your speech pattern that your brain or you are just automatically saying that. And it takes some work and it takes some effort to be able to look at yourself and reflect back and say, whoa, I am saying interesting or cool way too often and that is not what I mean and so by paying attention to those small details of what you do you can end up fighting and educating yourself about your own you know personal behavior and benefiting yourself because then you can have a better point to bring up in the discussion and pay more attention to what the other person is saying so I think yeah I think to fight distraction it's a hard thing I think it's a matter of really grounding yourself and looking back at what things you do automatically and uh, trying to fight those habits Absolutely. So before we close out the show, Hector, where can our listeners find us on social media? Yeah, so please email us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com or tweet us at strideandsaunter, rather, 
at Stride and Saunter. Also, come to our Facebook page, Stride and Saunter. <laughs> if you want, you can give us a call. If you have my or Kip's phone numbers, please uh, give us a call. But uh, that's not highly recommended. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to close out the show. As always, from thought to word and voice to ear, we thank you for listening. This is Kip Clark signing off. This is Hector Marrero. Farewell. <laughs>